2: Hello, hello, here we go. It's the Copy Podcast.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Copy Podcast. I'm Miss Moran, and I'm joined once again by Jay Pearson. How are you doing, Jay? Good, mate. Good stuff. But it doesn't matter about Jay today. We've got a special guest on. It's uh, formerly even standards and now freelance journalist David
0: Lynch. How are you doing, Dave? You okay? Yeah, good. Glad to be back. There. It's nice to be back on here.
1: Yeah, it's, yeah been a, uh, it's been
0: a long time since uh, since June. Yeah. We're in the depths of lockdown, then, so it's uh, <laughs> life, got, life got a little bit better and then worse again now. So that's nice. Yeah, we've we've all got better haircuts now as well, haven't we, Jay? <laughs> yes. Yeah,
2: I, I, yeah. I like the lighting; it just the lights bouncing off me. It's a nice little shine, <laughs> you know. I've had my haircut for my birthday for tomorrow, so I'm ready to go. <laughs>
0: oh, nice.
1: Anyway, we'll, uh, we'll we'll crack on, and obviously. Liverpool beat Sheffield United on the weekend 2-1. But unfortunately, VAR rears its ugly head once again. So that's where we're going to start off, really. Obviously, we go 1-0 down um, through a Fabinho foul on the edge of the box. For me, I thought it was a bit of a, not a silly tackle, but he's asking to be punished a little bit, isn't he, in terms of the tackle. But when you watch it back on the replay and stuff like that, he's clearly got the ball. And then you look at stuff like the Man United game where Harry Maguire's nearly taken Aspera Quetta's head off, and you're like, "Where's the consistency in it? Like, I don't, I don't understand. There's no
0: clear definition anymore, is there, Dave? No, that's it. I think, I think you're right to mention that it was sort of a bit of a silly challenge because I remember seeing just in the immediate aftermath of what we thought was a free kick being given was Jordan Henderson basically having a pop up for I'm guessing, sort of saying, "Why are you going to ground there? Obviously, the clearance he tried to make before it was a bit of an error in itself, and then he's compounded his error by going to ground. So I think that's something you wouldn't have seen Virgil Van Dijk do. He just stood, he just stood him up and tried to sort of force the play away. So I think he, you know he gave the referee a decision to make in that sense. But the decision itself is just absolutely crackers. I think. I think that's a clear example of someone winning the ball um, and, and get, you know getting a bit of a man after. But I don't think I don't think you call that a foul anywhere else on the pitch. I think because the referee has given the foul the tendency for the VAR is to sort of try and back that decision up and not overturn it unless it's extremely clear, even though I thought this was a clear example of sort of not really a foul. And then obviously they have to give a penalty in that case then because, it, you know, by the definition of the law, is on the line, so it's in the box. So, you know, you can't argue with him actually giving a penalty. It's just, it's just very unfortunate that, that that's considered a foul. I think, you know, we got conflicting reports as well in the immediate aftermath about whether or not they'd actually checked the foul itself rather than where it was on the pitch and um, so that that adds to the frustration you know and that that's the exact same thing that happened uh, after the Everton game was was conflicting reports coming out about what exactly had been looked at and what hadn't and um, so that doesn't really help things it doesn't make things clearer or or give people sort of any faith in the system at all so it's it's so frustrating the, the situation we've got at the moment
1: yeah and I like I watched them um, that thing on Sky Sports News you know ref watch where they have like referees on like Dermot Gallagher and it's like Stephen Warnock's on there, and he's just like you can see his face; he's like just perplexed. Like, so Damon Gallagher says the referee is given a foul. VAR has checked whether it was in the box or not, and because they've adjudged it was in the box, they've given a pen. So the, it's the you can see that it's you can check whether it's in the box. It's like the Pickford thing; they've checked that it's offside. So why that can't can't they then check to see if it's offside in the Pickford in, in, instance or if it's a foul or not? It's just it's. There's no there's no clear definition of like what, what, what are they looking at on VAR? Are they looking at just
0: segments of it or are they looking at it all? It is it is baffling, isn't it? Well, listen, yeah, I, I don't understand. They're, they're not just looking at things that are recommended to them to look at because, obviously, they're trying to overturn anything the referee has, has missed, is the idea of it. So it's not like, oh, well, I can't look at that because the referee's not asking me to look at it. Um, it's just a case of look at everything that happens and, and if you see any infringement in there or anything that doesn't get spotted by the ref, then you... You know use the technology to saying it and you know if that's correct that they didn't actually check the file or not because you know some people have said that they they did i know i know the couple of reports at the time was was that they didn't check the actual file itself but some they've since sort of claimed that they did so you know i can't be definitive on that i suppose but it's just it's just i just don't think the correct decision was made and i think a lot of people would agree with that and you know great to sort of in the sense of the penalty call was was absolutely bang on, Uh, you know, you've got to say VAR worked in that sense, particularly for Sheffield United, you know, they would have been denied a penalty in that sense. But it's just not worked in the sense of judging whether it's a foul or not. It's just really hard to get your head around. And I I do just wish there was some sort of, you know, I watch uh, Ref Watch quite a lot myself. Um, And it's, you know, it's great to see that analysis of the decisions. But if there was some, if there was an, an official explanation of the week's most controversial decisions sort of stitched into that somewhat, it would sort of make things, I think, a little bit easier to accept. Yeah,
1: definitely. I mean, like, it's you can see when Steve Warnock's having a bit of a pop that Dermot Gallagher's just kind of smiling because he knows he's got to be official on telly and he's got to give like the the letter of like, like the officialness of what what's been given. But really, he must have a, he must have his own opinion that these decisions that are getting made are clearly one wrong and two should should be then looked at. And corrected because if if we don't go on to lose that game or draw it, it's made a mass. It's made into a massive thing. It's just lucky that we got
0: over the line, isn't it? Really? Yeah, and the, but the scariest thing about it, I think, is the fact that if you were the VAR ref going into that game and you knew what had happened with Liverpool the week before, you'd be like, right, I need to be absolutely on it today. Like, I can't, I can't miss anything. I can't have any high profile gaffs here. I'm going to watch everything So like the to the minutiae of every situation to make sure I don't miss a thing. And then bang, the first like. First half is just a horrendous error that, that leads to a penalty that could have you know could have changed the outcome of the game. It's just incredible. I, I, I don't you know don't look forward to seeing what, what it's like when they're not completely on it going into you know maybe the, a couple of weeks down the line when the Ferraris dive wrapped down around all this. Um, you know what are they still going to be like then? Is it going to
2: be in worse calls? It's just it's just madness.
0: Yeah.
2: I mean, I, sorry on. mate, I was just about to say. For me, it was I was sat there ready to watch that game and I thought right, last week's done now. Let's put it behind us. That we've got another league game right in front of us now. Let's just move on from it. There's nothing we can do to change it. And like I said, within the the first half an hour, we've got another dodgy decision. And I just think, for God's sake, is there like you know, there's not an agenda against or anything like that. It's just the way that the world works at the minute. But it's just that whole uh, millimeters again. You know, the 11 millimeters of the goal line technology, the Etihad, and then it's this again. I just think we can't catch a break at the minute, and it was really pissing me off to to speak frankly because it I just thought that there's no consistency because every because it's still controlled by a human being everyone still has that different level of what they think at the end of the day because not every referee has the same opinion as, as the the next one do they and that's that's where it needs to change because the technology is fine it's it's there but it's the people that are controlling it that really need to be on a level playing field that everyone needs to decide well yes that is or that isn't you know take a panel of 100 refs or whatever and go, right, what's your opinion on this margin? Yeah, I agree it should be and take a majority vote.
0: Yeah, I'm so, a... Those subjective decisions are the ones that are going to be really difficult. It seems to sort of get any sort of consensus on because I just think, you know, it, it seems to... I I'm not really sure what's influencing the decision at that point. I just don't, mm. you know, that... I think even, you know, even in subjective terms, you look at that foul or foul and it's, you know... At best, it's extremely weak that that to give a to give a penalty for. I just think, you know, if you, it just it's just surprising to me that it didn't get overturned. Basically, if it was looked at, because I just think, you know, how many people would you show that to, and they would say it's a penalty or or a foul if it was outside the box. I just I just think very very few. I don't think it's a Liverpool fan thing, or you know, was was looking at it favorably from their points of view. I really just think that's a. Just not a lot in it at all, and, and the fact that it's gone to VAR and they've looked it and looked it and, and, and come up with that—it's just really, really surprising. And I, I don't—I I honestly don't know how you have solved that, actually, to be honest. Yeah, and and I mean, if they've started
1: doing where they go over to the monitor and have a look themselves,
0: <laughs> but yeah. that might have
1: been an option. If he's—if it's he's yeah. like 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 not every free kick, because that would just slow it right down, but like penalty decisions where. Like, it could really affect the game. We could lose the game because of it. Just go and take 15 seconds, 30 seconds if you want and have a look.
0: 100% on that is that maybe because it got upgraded from a free kick to a, to a uh, penalty, you, Mike, Mike Dean maybe felt he didn't need to go and see it. Well, maybe the VAR's role in that situation is say, this should be upgraded to a penalty because it's just on the line, it's inside the box. Um, Maybe you want to go and have another look at the foul, and I think that because I think if Mike Dean goes and looks at it, and the second time he sees it, he still thinks it's a foul, I think you, I think you sort of hold your hands up and say, "Do you know what the referee?" It's it's probably easier to take if the referee is who's refereeing yeah. the game rather than a, a man in a studio miles away, sort of makes that call on on the on the foul itself. And um, you know, if if it is down to that one man, you, you you just take it in the way that you have you know all the years prior to the AR even being introduced. So. Thinking that would have made it easy to say. i think that's a good call actually is maybe whenever he does come down to a penalty in that way go you know do go and have a look at it
1: yeah because if if they're banking on the reliability of the fella in the in the booth wherever he is Stockley park and if he's not saying to the referee you need to go and have a look at this then the referee is going to take that as red that he doesn't need to go and take a look at it that yeah. he thinks by by process elimination that it, it's it, he's made the right call and it's just it's it's not working at the moment, is it? Like I said, with the Harry Maguire one, like the uh, Magallaga saying it's definitely a penalty, and it's like he's
0: literally. It's like a, it's like a stone, a stone cold stun of that. Like, what's he doing? It is, it's it's another one of those. If you showed it to a hundred people, how many people would say it's not a penalty? Very, very few, and they would, they would be Man United fans. I think the ones who'd say it. So it's just, it's just crazy, really, that we've got this technology now and that we still seem to be coming out with, with some absolutely shocking decisions.
1: Yeah, and it's, it feds into the next, the next point, really. It's like, I read the stats after Everton obviously lost to um, 2-0 to Southampton. It's the first time since 1967-68 that the, um, all English clubs are unbe- un- unbeaten through the first six matches. Have I read that right? I haven't read that right, have I? It's the first time since 67 68 in which no sides are unbeaten. In the first six games, so everyone's everyone's lost, and that's the first time for that long. So that obviously points to VAR, doesn't it?
0: Clearly, yeah, I think VAR is a leveler. I think the the, the crowd situation is probably playing a, a role in that. Yeah. The fact that fans in, I think that that's possibly you know, yeah, I think that it was actually noticeable. I thought in the Sheffield United game, there was periods in that game, and a particular period in second half. Where I was sort of like, sort of sat back and was like, what is going on here? This is so sort of sedate the pace and the, the way the players were moving just didn't look right it, you know particularly that it was, probably, it was probably around 70 minutes or so and you think okay maybe they're, they're losing a bit of energy at this point but you wouldn't notice that generally when you're watching the match and there's fans in because that extra crowd energy and that it sort of feeds to the players and that did sort of seem to be weird and then yeah you've got the weirdness of VAR getting these you know particularly early in the season where you had situations with some absolutely ludicrous handballs this new offside thing that sort of you know, it's, it's really changed things in terms of this sleeve playing you offside or onside or whatever. Um So yeah, just it's a it's a weird weird season. I think that's probably contributed to the to that statistic.
1: Yeah, and it's 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 another one where, like you said, the, the change in the rules as the season's going on. So at the, at the beginning of the season, the handballs, it was like if it hits the hand, and it's just in the area, it's a penalty. And now because of the Ferrari around that, they've now changed it so. Surely the, the fact that they know that these decisions are happening at the minute are all wrong and generally it's not like a like you said, it's not a favourable favourable thing from Liverpool fans saying it's wrong because we're Liverpool fans. It's like you said, most ninety percent of people would say that the decisions are wrong. So I hope that would would
0: something like that happen in terms of like you said, like trying to fix that up as the season progresses. You would hope so, wouldn't you? Because I think, you know, we've seen it with the handball that you know, you've, got to, you've got to say that they have actually improved that situation. I think the, the Andy Robertson one uh, that happens against Sheffield United, that would have been a penalty if it was the first week of the season, which is absolutely ridiculous. You know, he knew nothing about it. He's just running and it hits his hand um, at pace. So, you know, they have shown a willingness to sort of fix things. You know, whether they can sort some of these other issues, I don't know. I, 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 you would really hope so because... You know, the handball was such an obvious problem. We were on for like, you know, 10 times the record of penalties in a season if that had carried on. So, yeah, hopefully they can sort of make some minor changes. And and so, you know, because I think with, with the whole VAR thing, it is a sort of process of working through it and trying to improve it because these laws weren't written with the idea that you were going to go and watch all the incidents happen in a football match back again in slow-mo. So it's... um you know, the laws have got to adapt to, to the technology almost, we've got to sort of catch up and that's that situation. I think we, we shouldn't be scared of doing that as the season progresses because we're learning all the time about how particular laws should be applied in these new circumstances.
2: I think yeah. one of the things for me where I echo what you just said with your stat Vermic about the teams, you know, everyone's been beaten so far in the season. The, the whole positive I take from this is the fact that obviously, given what happened at Godison, obviously the, the incident against Sheffield, we're still at the top of the league. And I just think, well, do you know what? If that's happening now, and given everything that's happened so far in this crazy little season, I'm just so grateful that we're, we're still there already. And we are, you know, a, a good points total clear of the likes of City, who we, we all expected to be the, the front runners, didn't we, Dave?
0: Yeah, I think, I think it's good to sort of, you, you know, you, you don't want to be having to play catch-up at any point. The fact that Liverpool have, you know, like you say, despite all the sort of setbacks and the weirdness and getting absolutely thrashed by Aston Villa, is are still, you know, joint top of the table at the moment. It's sort of testament to the fact that I think regardless of what the season throws at Liverpool, they'll be up there in terms of challenging for the title, that's for sure. I think, um, you know, watching City have their early struggles, which, you know, you can make excuses for and they're, they're 100%... Um, you know, they've had a lot of issues to deal with in terms of like the late start to the season and things like that. And you know, as, as much as anyone, there, you know dealing with these crowd and the VAR issues. And but Liverpool have sort of just taken that on board and seems to be just a, a bit of a machine and still grinding out the wins. And even when they don't play well, is hugely encouraging. I think you know I wrote a piece. <clears throat> unfortunate timing on my part actually wrote a piece just after, just before the Aston Villa game, saying I couldn't really understand why Liverpool weren't being made favourites for the league. Obviously, after they'd sort of that week, sort of jumped into the position of favourites and then just got absolutely battered and sort of dropped off a little bit. But I still, you know, I stand by that, you know, and I stood by that even by the Aston, after the Aston Villa game because I thought it was a bit of a freak situation. Because I think they've got the strongest squad you know, that's been massively weakened, to be honest, in terms of losing Virgil van Dijk. But I still think that the general strength across the across the squad in a lot of positions, except maybe centre-half, is probably stronger than City uh, on paper. And I think you've got a manager who is, you know, I think you can say in the last couple of years, has been the best manager in the league. And I think I just think they're really, really well positioned to, to win the league again this season. I think if City are going to carry on. The uncertainty around Pep Guardiola's situation, Aguero's increasing injury problems, particularly in a season that's compressed like this. I think they've not replaced Sane properly. Um, uh, you know, I think they've got issues to face. I think they they've still got issues at centre half, and he's seemingly in trying to sort of solve that problem at the moment. They've, they've, they've struggled to create as many chances as they used to. So, so yeah, still I still think Liverpool the, the, the way they've coped with it is, is hugely encouraging, and, and what a good start it's been despite that that pillar result. Yeah, and I think Liverpool are always going to be written off and especially in that maybe now
1: that we've we've lost Van Dijk people might be maybe making us lesser favourites what I'm happy with like if you write Liverpool off but you're paralysed I say especially on the year and club like there's no reason why we can't win the Premier League and Champions League like if you have any lesser ambitions than that then what's the point in even trying like we're still Absolute, like you said, they have an absolute force. Fabinho has been exemplary back and centre-back. We've still got matter to come back in. There's still loads of positives and maybe luck of January for signing. So, there's, there's definitely loads of positives. But um, in terms of moving forwards, obviously we won the Sheffield United game, thank fuck. We, uh, <laughs> there was no uh, blowback from that. And we we go and play uh, mid, mid-, mid- chill tomorrow. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Probably not. But, um, yeah, they lost 4-0 last week to um, Atalanta. So let's hope for a similar scoreline for us. Do you expect many changes to the lineup, Dave. I know there's no no Tiago, no Matet, no Kater. Maybe Curtis Jones or Milner might come in again after
0: the uh, outing against Ajax last week. Yeah, do. the problem is in terms of rotation is in, in midfield at the moment. Obviously, not you know with Tiago not being in, Kater not being in. That's you know you're a bit short on options there. Uh, you know even at fullback where you might like to make a change like Simicast coming in for this one. Um, he's not available which is a shame um, you know because it's one of, you've got to admit it's one of the easier sort of group games I think even Jurgen Klopp would acknowledge that privately it's one of the, the more the one you would expect to be more straightforward so it would have been an opportunity for rotation but I just think the injuries have sort of caused him causing problems in terms of looking to do that um, you know he might look to sort of maybe mix things up in terms of taking out one of the front three and, and sort of giving Jota another start there with the you know with a mind to sort of Working his way through these coming games, um, Curtis Jones. I know he wasn't sort of seen in the the video at training today, but um, my understanding is he is fit uh, and he will be in the squad tomorrow. So whether that means maybe a, a start, because it was it was a shame at Ajax. I thought really that he was he was thrown into that. And didn't he couldn't really get into the game. It's a, it's a tough one Ajax away, isn't it? Um, to, to be thrown into that, they're a very dangerous team. Um, even if they're not quite at Liverpool's level, so you know a game like this at home to Midland, a weaker team, would would maybe be ideal for him. Especially if you haven't got those those rotational options, I think you know maybe give him a chance in this one. I I'd quite like to see that. I know that, um, but you know knowing Jurgen Klopp, I'm I'm sure he'll sort of. I'd, well, it's it's a tough one, isn't it? He, he doesn't like to to do too much rotating, but I think. He just knows what the schedule's like this season he's going to have to make some difficult decisions I think and, and maybe in that midfield is, is where he does something like that a little bit of a surprise move and does maybe throw in a Jones or someone like that
1: Yeah and I think when you look back at his two previous games Curtis Jones in the Cup games before the Ajax games he was really good and I think yeah. he put a bit too much pressure on himself, didn't he? In the IX game. You could see he was trying trying to do give and goes, one twos that weren't really on. He was trying to force a little bit. I think that's why he yeah. came off in the end, didn't he? But yeah, like you said, I think it's a perfect game for him. Do you think anything anyone like a Reese Williams might start
0: centre half maybe and then give Favinio back into midfield? an interesting one. You know, is that level of trust there with Reese Williams? I know that, you know, obviously he's been thrust sort of back into the into the limelight in terms of the squad's. Um, and, and throwing him on at Ajax, that wasn't, I suppose, a token move. I don't think Jurgen Klopp just dishes out, he said it before, isn't he? he just dishes appearances out just like presents. He, you know, he'll, he'll give them to people who deserve them. So, obviously, Williams has impressed him in training enough to earn that. I suppose, you know, taking that next step to, to start the Champions League game is a is a big ask. I know, you know, he hasn't got a lot of options, but you know, you'd hope that massive isn't too far away. So, I, I, I. It just looks a big risk to me that one, you know, in in the centre of defence, it, putting Curtis Jones in as a sort of ten slash number eight position is is perhaps less risky than than throwing in a teenager at centre half. So. Yeah. I'd be, you know it's possible, it's possible, but yeah, I think it's one I'd maybe say it's, it's sort of tough to see at the moment. If you know, if he if he did, what a great moment that would be for for Reece Williams. But I, it's just a tough one to see. I think he's just going to try and get that Fabinho Gomez partnership going again. Just try and keep that steady because I think in theory as well, the centre outs don't do maybe as much running do the in, in matches or shouldn't be doing. So um, you know, he, you know, he does have a tendency to try, try and build those partnerships and keep it going. So I think he might just. Just stick with those two in the centre, centre of defence. Yeah,
1: I think it, we both said that earlier, didn't we, Jay, Like, it makes sense to have those two building that partnership. As, like you said, like Klopp said today, that he wants those partners to be built. And Trent getting used to playing with Fabinho and Gomez to get used to playing with him, Robbo. Just the whole system, so it's more systematic in terms of... Because we're so used to seeing Virgil van Dijk, Gomez, Trent and Robbo. When you take one of those pieces out and such a huge piece like Virgil van Dijk, it's obviously going to have a domino effect in terms of... The system of Klopp and how how we're going we are as as, as a unit basically. Uh, in terms of like going forward then uh, for West Ham on Saturday, do you expect Thiago Mata and Keita to be to be back for that one? Uh,
0: I don't know about Mata and Keita, So my latest info on Thiago is that basically being very cautious with him um, was just a case of you know he went for that scan. They we were really concerned about that initially, but it's just sort of sort of heavy bruising and you know I was told that he was sort of doing some light training. Um, so I think there's a possibility of minutes against West Ham, which will be a major boost, and then you know getting him ready then for that that big double header which is Atalanta and then Man City before the international break. So he's not he's not supposed to be far off at all, which is a big boost. Uh, I'm not sure about Matip and K- to be honest, K- inside the sure what his issue is. To be honest, um, he has had muscular issues in the past. We know that, so you know if it's anything like that, they'll they'll take that slowly. And, and Matip again, I'm not not sure where it's, sort of he's up to. Um, you know, whether they are just sort of trying to save him to keep him ready for the for the, the Atlanta um uh, Man City games. I'm, I'm not entirely sure where those two are up to. The you know, Massive getting him back would be particularly a big boost. I think just to have those defensive options because you know, we've seen Gomez has, has picked up injuries in the past himself. So, you know, you just you just want that sort of safety net there because you don't you don't want to be putting too much pressure on Reese Williams whenever you use him, I suppose. So yeah, hopefully those two are those two are not far away. But I know I know Thiago isn't isn't far off. Yeah, and I think like you said, it's not worth risking. Like Mitch at home and West Ham
1: at home, really without those three players, it, 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 even in the squad, we'll be okay. Shouldn't we? Like we we want them back for the Atalanta game away, Man City away, and then we've obviously got Leicester as well. I think after an international break at home, so. The games are going to be coming thick and fast, aren't they? So I, it, it it makes sense to err on the side of caution in terms of those, especially Tiago and Matip. Yeah. well, and Cater as well, really, because between Matip and Kater, like I said, they're not they haven't been great injury wise, and Tiago's only recently came to the
0: club, so it, it is probably best to, to be to err on the side of caution, err on the side of caution there, isn't it? Yeah, hundred percent. I think I think he'll. I think in his head, as soon as this sort of injury happened with with Thiago, he, he'd been thinking about Man City away. I think that's he who 100 percent would want to start, and because you want to sort of keep hold of the ball, you're going to be pre- you need to be press resistant in the middle, and he's he, he's already some of the performances, well, the two performances he's put in so far for Liverpool have just been absolutely outstanding. Like genuinely, sort of just incredible in terms of his ability on the ball and, and, and moving it around and, and just his little burst of pace to get away from players that he has. That he, so, I, you know, something I maybe didn't know about him as much is that that little dribble to make space and he pops the ball off and he can play any pass. So, yeah, I think I think going into City away, you want your strongest team, and I think Tiago is is already making a case that he would be in that. So, and, and again, Atalanta away, it's that's another one you need to keep the ball away from them. They're so dangerous on the break, so many, you know, so much quality there. So, I think, I think getting him ready to sort of start those two games back to back is sort of the plan here, which which will be a huge boost for Liverpool. Obviously, two big games to get through before that. They're always big games, but I think if you could get Tiago back for those two, that would be absolutely massive.
1: Yeah, definitely. Like it, it, we've got it, we've got to make sure, like you said, those performances Thiago's been putting in. It's like you're clapping five-yard passes just because the way he <laughs> the on. It's just he's unbelievable, isn't he? I just wanted to ask you, Dave, about um, before we move on a little bit, and I, we've got some questions from from some of our Twitter followers um, about Harvey Elliott because he's he's gone out on loan to um, to Blackburn. And I asked you about this back in back in June when you were last on the pod, and he, he got a goal and assist. In in his last game, in a 4-0 win over Coventry, it, it is mad to think that he's still seventeen. Like he, I knew he's he, he's he's absolutely boss. I love him, but seventeen years old going to the championship, or of these scoring goals, getting assists, and I think he had like six creative six big chances on on the weekend, and being in the Championship team of the week. Like, this, do you expect him to
0: come back next season and be, have a bigger part in the in, in the squad? Yeah, I think I think Liverpool sort of considered I've written this, and it, you know, just after he went to to Blackburn on loan, was that Liverpool had no plans to loan him out really until it became apparent that Shikiri was going to stick around, and he sort of couldn't get he couldn't get a move away. So at that point, it sort of made no sense for him to sort of just sit on the bench. And then Blackburn sensed an opportunity and, and came in from late, and because of Tony Mowbray's sort of track record of developing youngsters, Liverpool were very keen on it. Plus the fact it was quite close, so they could keep an eye on him. It wasn't a big aspirant. To make the move there, so I think it just—it was just sensible, and the timing was perfect. And you know, I had a few replies on Twitter when I would tweet out the news that he was going to go. And um, you know, people sort of downhearted about it as if you know there's this this curse where young players go out on loan and, and then they never come back into the Liverpool first team. But you know, could this couldn't be more different the situation. The fact that the, the championship teams obviously it's a physical league. when a 17 year old on loan is. I think you know, and this is Blackburn as well—a team who sort of would want to put themselves in the promotion chase, certainly sort of play off that sort of area of the table. Um, you know, I, I just says everything about how good he is, and the, the, I, you know, I've watched the, the highlights and that performance against Coventry it was absolutely incredible. Um, he's such a, such a huge talent. Um, you know, I think if he has a, a season there, a full season there, comes back, he's hundred percent going to be ready to take Shaqiri's place in the squad. Um, he's a major, major talent. I, I, I think you know from the first time I saw him, which I think was at, um, was at Oldham in a the EFL Trophy game, um, and he scored. And I just remember thinking then, this lad's going to play for Liverpool in the first team regularly. He's, I just think he's a fantastic talent, uh, and I've got absolutely no worries about the fact that he'll, he'll learn a lot while he's on loan at Blackburn, and then he'll come back and and play a big role because he'll, he'll be ready.
1: Yeah, and it's when you see him, that he's playing on the right of a three, so it's perfect for him to get used to that role, isn't it? Like we know we can play anywhere, probably, up in the front three, but you can see he's just he's just got that class, hasn't he? Like on the ball, it is like Thiago like I'm not comparing him to Thiago, but it's Thiago like in terms of how he glides on the ball and the the way to pass and the eye for a pass, like just defence splitting. Like there was a couple against Coventry and a couple against Watford, he did where he's. They should score because he's just absolutely just sliced them open. It's like a seventeen year old kid. Like yeah. if you're coming up against him, you'd be like, nah, i be sound yeah, he's only a kid. And it's like he's just gonna absolutely wrench it. And it's like it is promising, like, especially with our front three, quite aging now or getting towards thirty, like having someone that in reserve in the future, he's only he's gonna be well class, isn't he? For me anyway.
0: Yeah, I, I totally agree. I mean, you know, maybe in a few years someone will get this clip of us saying this and you know, maybe <laughs> football's, football's a bit like that, isn't it? Um, it might play it out differently, but I think you know, all the tools are there, hundred percent. I think he's got the, the talent to be and the and the you know the application and the sort of the level headed to be a world class player. He's you know he's different to Salah. He's not got quite that sort of searing pace but his ability to pick a through ball is sort of Coutinho-esque and, you know, he's more of that wide playmaker. You know, even so in that commentary game, he ended up going on to the left-hand side as well and showed his ability to sort of sling some absolutely beautiful crosses in. And, you know, they're not they're not even crosses, they're through balls from wide. It's so accurate. And, yeah, it's just a, just a fantastic player. You know, I'm really looking forward to sort of seeing how he develops during his year at Blackburn and, and sort of really excited to see him back at Liverpool almost because I just think he's going to be massive. Yeah. And I think he could like you said, if if Shakeri would have moved
1: moved on, he would have been in and around the squad. He might have been he might have played tomorrow, mightn't he? Like there's games where he thought, oh, this would be perfect for Harvey earlier. And it's it's probably better for his development, isn't it? Like going out on loan, Like you said, it's gonna it's gonna do him wonders. But um, we've got a couple of questions there before we before we let you go from 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 Twitter. This first one is from the cop on podcast. It's, he says, um, has it got harder and harder to find out transfer news from within the club over the years? It seems that journalists are just as in the dark as the rest of us these days. I suppose it's a good thing, isn't it? Because we don't want, we don't want leaks. And like, uh, Look at the Fabinho transfer where no one had a fucking clue. And next minute we signed them. So and and Jota as bad. well. Yeah, and Jota. So have you,
0: do you think it's harder now, Dave, in terms of getting news like that? Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, I still worked for the club when the Fabinho news came out and to sort of give you an insight into how, you know, in the dark everyone was about that fact is that I was on my way back from Kiev, um, having covered the final for the, the official website and then it was basically news to me that night that it was going to break, you know, I got a couple of hours before it sort of came out, got told that that was happening. So we had to write some stuff or whatever and push some stuff out. So that shows you how sort of quietly they, they kept that. that. was incredible. I think that's sort of a new thing that's come about in the aftermath of the Virgil Van Dyke thing. I think it's a bit. So then, when I left the club and came out to being a you know a journalist outside of, outside the club, um, it's not made it particularly easy. Um, but you know, we, I, I think I still think there's this scope to break stories there. I think you know people talk about it like you know. Journalists don't don't get these stories at all, but the, the fact is that a lot of the stuff that has happened over this summer, you know, Joss is a good example of one that was you know completely out of the blue. But a lot of the stuff that journalists have, have actually been across quite a bit of it, you know, sort of aware of what was going on. So, you know, and I know that James Pierce was the one who who sort of first broke that that Thiago definitely was going to come. It was it was happening. The signing was 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 close. So, you know, I don't think we've quite we've quite reached the point where we're Pointless, but uh, so we, we do. We do get the odd story from time to time. But yeah, no, I think it is hard. I think that's a fair point to make, particularly mm-hmm. on transfers. So a lot of my focus is on getting stories about other things. Like I think it's a
2: good, <laughs> yeah. I think it's a good thing, though, isn't it? Because you know, when when you are heavily linked with a player for a, a long time, other clubs can come in for. Uh, you know, in in the media, that you know, oh, uh, such and such a clubs coming, which then can have an influence on the price, it can then influence the the club who's first in line for him to to push for it a little bit harder, and it's it can sort of be a negative thing, can it? Because remember when the Thiago thing it was happening, then it wasn't happening, then Manchester United were supposedly going to get him, and then it went quiet again, and then all of a sudden, you know, we got him. The same, the same people that were saying it it wasn't going to happen, the same people that said that it did happen, and I think for me personally, I'd rather the club do it the way. Fabinho happened the way Jota it, Just all of a sudden, you wake up and go bang. The, the transfers. that I mean, it's the it's the best way to do business.
0: Yeah, I think I think you can see the negatives in it uh, in terms of looking what United were like around Sancho this summer. Um, they sort of basically it seemed to me from the outside that United were basically offering a running commentary on that to journalists who close to the club. And I don't think that did them any favors because ultimately they just you know, wound the fans up into, you know, and then, and then nothing happened. So, you know, it wasn't worth them doing that. They just sort of pushed expectations up and then didn't live up to them. So, so yeah, I think the way Liverpool go about is probably very sensible, even if it can be a bit frustrating at times as a journalist. Um, You know, I suppose our job is just to get whatever stories we can and sometimes that's not about transfers and Sometimes you know you do get you do get one. You manage to dig one out eventually, but yeah, it's 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 not easy for us. But I think it is sensible for the business and the way that the club is runs it to go about that that sort of business quietly, definitely. Yeah,
1: and especially the ages with, like, you look at the likes of Nabil Fakir and. Players like that, where it's just long, protracted, and you're just like, I'm bored of this now. Like you're bored of Fikia's name, and you don't, you're not even bothered by the end of it if it doesn't sign. Because you're like, I don't care. I'm sick of it. name. <laughs>
2: Dave, Dave, you you were working for the club when the Fakir thing happened, didn't you? I mean, was like, was you in the room when he when he had the Liverpool shirt on and everything? <laughs> uh, no,
0: fortunately no. I did uh, no. I wasn't that. I wasn't that close to that one. But I know, I know, you know, I know that the mood was like around Twitter at that time, and it was so. You know so that 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 move had sort of been followed through the press, hasn't it, and, and been talked about so much. And then obviously, in the end, it, it falls through for whatever reason. And you know, you could just they just created so much expectation, and then you get that disappointment after. And I think that's hard. You know, I think clubs are learning that, that that's not it's just not good to, to, to do your messaging in that way. It's just try and keep it as quiet as possible. I think it helps the Liverpool as well, is that you've got a really settled. A group of people do, who are involved in transfers and it's a very small group of people who need to know about that stuff and they're the ones who, who do know about it and you know it's got a tight tight group that, that doesn't sort of take information out which is it just, it just says a lot I think about how professional Liverpool's run um, and, and that's from the football side to everything else as well it's just yeah fair play to them I think it, um, it, like I said it's frustrating for us but it, it gets the job done and I think that sort of you know, being about being that way in negotiations also is quite handy because I think a lot of clubs respect the way that Liverpool go about the business and know that there won't be this commentary going on in the press while it's ongoing. So, you know, that, that makes deals easier to do, definitely. Yeah, man, that, that feeds into the next question from Owen, really.
1: He says, do you think we really need a new centre-back in January? Seeing that the last two games since Virgil got injured, we've won them and the match was Fab and Gomez at centre-back. I love Matip, but with his injury record, it would be better maybe as an option to sell him next summer to partially fund the move for upper Meccano.
0: Yeah, I think we need one in January. I think we need bodies. I think you just can't you can't rely on Matip staying fit. And although Gomez has been quite unfortunate in the types of injuries he's had been more impact injuries than sort of, you know, muscular you know, persistent muscular issues and stuff like that. So I think he's been unlucky, but um, I, I do think they need they need a body. The one thing I can say is that I don't think they'll I don't think they'll rush to um, to sign someone who's not a, a good long term fit. I don't, you know, this is not the way Liverpool is run. Um, they'll they'll know that it'd be better if they did get someone in January, but they're not going to sign someone who's not going to be at the club in four years' time, or they don't envisage having that future there. You know what I mean? I think unless it's a, a convenient loan deal they can do or something like that. But you know the amount of world class centre halves who are going on convenient loan deals in January are probably very far between. So I think you know if, if they can fill that long term need and maybe and maybe does Matip's future does come into that consideration if he continues to struggle with injuries, then I think they'll do it. Um, it's just you cannot often guarantee on whether they're going to sign someone or not because it's such such a long time to go between now and January, and also you know it's that's going to be a difficult deal to do. So it's it's it really is a lot is up in the air at the moment.
1: Yeah, and it's like I mean that's that would be like a dream sign. like Up McCann. I think he's only like twenty one, isn't he? like he's you he can tell he's gonna be he's gonna be great in a few years, even better than he is now. And there's like of like Ben White as well. There's players like that. Way like you said, Klopp's not gonna make a sign and just for the sake of it. He's gonna look at it as in terms of he wants the future. He's not gonna just make a stopgap sign. And like some clubs do where they go like we'll have him for a year and then get rid of him and bring someone else. And he wants someone to come and do. Have a gradual process. So is someone like a Ben White maybe a more
0: viable option? Do you think? Yeah, I think the difficulty there is the amount of money that Brighton would ask to, to to give up Ben White in the middle of the season. He just signed a new deal, which obviously all that speculation that was around him. Mean, he had two years left in his contract then, and they wanted around thirty million. Um, we're obviously going to be way beyond that. It's a come for him. Another one. You know, he's another one as well. I'm not sure is he is he the right profile in terms of. You know, I know they did track him over the summer and the, work, the the was sort of initial contact with his agent, but it didn't really go much further than that. And I'm thinking if it is someone who's gonna come in and sort of they want to replace and challenge Van Dyke, he's a very he's got a very specific profile in terms of his aerial prowess and that, that profile's not perhaps matched by either Gomez or Fabinho. So, you know, Ben White doesn't really fit that. I don't think Upper fits that. So it's you know, I, I could really see them if they do go for someone, it being someone a slightly more left field, someone we've not really sort of talked about yet or thought about. Um, because that's, you know, a lot of Liverpool signings are like that. And they, they do need someone if they're going to bother to, you know, if they think that short term losing Van Dyke for this period of the season is going to be so damaging, I think they'll go with someone who's as similar characteristics as possible. So a massively aerially dominant who can pass the ball as well as that. Um, Unfortunately there's not many of those about but uh, you know, you you back this scouting team to find one over probably any other club in the league because they've they've picked out gems time and time again.
2: Absolutely, mate, you're spot on there. And I think even if playing devil's advocate, if we don't get anybody in January, we've got to sort of like which I I agree with you, Dave. I think we definitely will, but there's always that risk that that, that doesn't happen. When we remember last season, you know, we didn't strengthen in the summer at the beginning of the season when we, we won the league, uh, and everyone was just going on and on with the, the club for not signing, not strengthening, not adding to the midfield like we should have done, and everyone said we, we weren't going to do anything. So you never know what happens in football, do you? We might end up uh, not needing one, uh, of course, anyway. Uh, but listen, Dave, we want to say thank you very much for, for joining us tonight, mate. We really, really appreciate it. Um, obviously, one more time on here, gets you your very own copyright hat-trick ball. So make sure that you're on, a, you know, a little bit earlier than than long yeah. time. So uh, we'll Let's get you up. Now the second show now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, make sure you guys are watching. Make sure you follow Dave on Twitter because he writes some awesome pieces, and it's all Liverpool based and it's absolutely fantastic work that he's done. Uh, let us know in the comments what you think about the VAR issue. Let us know who you think we should be signing in January if anybody. Let us know how well Dave's done on the show once again. Let us know how good, good looking Mick is and wish me an happy birthday and we will see you next time, won't we, Michael?
1: See you in
0: a bit. Sports Social Podcast Network.